0: You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up and comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Half Stack Highlights. I'm Jen Lazan, the editor in chief of Half Stack Magazine, and also the host of this podcast where We explore the business of creativity and inspiring individuals who are trying to create magic while following their dreams. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Dana Donofri, the founder of Anna Ono, a lingerie and lingerie company that launched back in 2014 with a mission to design specifically for those who have had breast reconstruction, breast surgery, mastectomy, or are living with other conditions that cause pain or discomfort. Dana launched the brand after her own battle with cancer. She was diagnosed with infiltrative ductal carcinoma at 27. Dana founded Anna Ono out of her own necessity and desire for pretty, sexy, beautiful lingerie. After a bilateral mastectomy with implant reconstruction, her own bras no longer fit her, and she was certain there must be more than just sports bras and camisoles, as nothing in the traditional lingerie market fit her surgically altered body anymore. With a degree in fashion design from Savannah College of Art and Design and a quite successful fashion industry career, she took her 10 plus years of experience and put it towards designing, launching, and growing the Anna Ono brand. In this episode, we talk about Dana's amazing journey through this all. We specifically look at her experiences in design um, well before the Anna Ono brand launch, as well as launching a brand from start to finish and her experiences at New York Fashion Week. We get up close and personal and discuss her battle with cancer and how the experiences changed her trajectory in her life. We also talk about the realities of Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the truth behind where some of the major foundations actually put their funds versus smaller grassroots organizations that are working towards actually finding a cure. She shares her thoughts on why breast cancer isn't about the color pink or cheesy taglines, but really the people who are fighting day in and day out. She goes into more detail about some of the nonprofits that she partners with and some of the incredibly inspirational figures who have touched her life along the way. If you're a woman or a man who wants to support other women, someone who has battled breast cancer, someone who wants to find out where the donated funds for breast cancer awareness actually go to, or someone who's just interested in learning more about launching a brand and gaining some entrepreneurial insights, this episode is for you. Keep listening for the full interview.
1: Can you please tell us a bit more about yourself, your background, and what led you to pursue launching your company?
2: So I uh, grew up in a tiny little town in Ohio, and you know, almost everybody I went to school with I knew from kindergarten to 12th grade, and um, I launched out of that tiny little city and landed myself at Savannah College of Art and Design to study fashion design. And I had an amazing time there, and I just went to wherever any fashion designer wants to go, and that's to the Big Apple in New York City, and uh, just worked really, really hard for quite a few years and had an amazing career, worked at amazing places, and then I met my soon-to-be husband. And we moved out to Denver, Colorado. And I was the VP of product development for a children's accessories company. And I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. So, yeah, it was really a shock to my family, to my friends. I was 27 years old, never expected it, never thought it would happen to me. Um, wow. As far as as I knew, breast cancer happened to our grandmas, and Mm -hmm. I didn't think it happened to my friends or myself included. Yeah. And uh, my whole world flipped upside down, and all that projection, all that hard work, all that career-driven experience and industry experience just kind of fell flat, and I couldn't believe that I was now encountering something that may kill me. And I picked myself up and I I kept working because I'm 27 years old and what else mm-hmm. are you supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was about a year after my surgeries and after my chemo and after my treatment really ended that I assessed that my clothes no longer fit me, and I was kind of really shocked about this. I mean, cancer sends you a lot of things that you're really shocked about but I never expected that my underwear drawer was going to be my biggest pain point and my biggest issue and I kind of woke up in the middle of the night and I said you know like here I am I, I let dressing myself dictate my day every single day I'm a fashion designer I care about the way I look I have a style I can't be myself I can't identify with myself and I have the tools to do something about it so that's when I put my pen to sketchbook and I started designing instruments that would fit me and wouldn't help me feel more confident. And uh, one thing led to another and here we are (laughs) seven years
1: later. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. So can I ask you a question? How long have you been in remission now?
2: Uh, So I was diagnosed in 2010, so a little, um, almost seven
1: and a half years. So it's great for me. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's kind of like that, motivation and not only you know it started off with yourself but I can only imagine the amount of women that you are impacting every day now with your collection what you're doing and that's what really keeps me going to be honest
2: um you know I'm not selling a bra and we'll probably never sell a bra but we're selling an experience and an opportunity to feel like yourself again and Mm. that's so, so important for your recovery and for your healing and for your life. I mean, you shouldn't have to feel bad about yourself because you had cancer. I mean, that just doesn't add up. So we're really supportive and encouraging to our community to know that it isn't just a bra. It's more than that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can you share a little bit on, like, the mission and vision driving your brand, what you're doing, and Obviously, you know, your story kind of pegged into lingerie, lingerie was a pain point for you and you figured it'd be a pain point for others. But, you know, maybe even tell us more about the inspiration behind the collections and how you design and what you keep in mind when it comes to the women that you're trying to help with your brand?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a very loaded question, but at the end of the day, you know, what we strive to do at Anna Ono is to encourage and empower anybody who has any sort of alteration done to their body where traditional lingerie doesn't work. And that sounds really loaded because it is. And I think that our differentiation from our competitors is that, we don't try to fit you into something that you're not. We don't try to fit you into a molded cup. We don't expect that you want to use breast forms. We want you to be you, whatever that is. So if you have one breast, two breasts, or no breasts, we're going to have an option for you. And I I tell people a lot, I've dressed a lot of women with no breasts. Our breasts don't define us. We define ourselves and our style and our personality and how we express ourselves. So, if wearing something pretty helps you feel sexy, then you should have it, you know? I mean, shoot, <laughs> there's worse things in life.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And, I mean, that, that helps, too, adding in, uh, adding to, like, the overall empowerment and and the healing process and getting you back to a point where you're loving your body no matter what it looks like, no matter what the changes are, and just realizing the strength and the power behind it that, that, you know, something simple as, you know, lingerie can do something like that for some people. And I think that's amazing for some people they don't need it. And for some they do, and that's okay. I I love that concept. I love that idea that it's all about that empowerment too. Can you share a little bit more about the whole launch and the development and what the whole process was like going from like concept to find a uh, product? Obviously, you you have a fashion design background. You know the ins and outs of the industry. But a lot of our our listeners who may be interested in this type of career, or, or just you know who may find it interesting to hear about that whole journey into creating and starting a brand from scratch, um, maybe touch on that whole experience and what that was like, and what you had to kind of go through in order to get to where you are now.
2: That is. Really an awesome question, because uh, I, for instance, knew what I was doing. I've launched many fashion lines in my life. I've launched them season after season. I definitely know how the calendar works, what needs to get done, when it needs to get done. And it still took me twice the amount of time <laughs> to do it. Yeah. And and, and that's kind of the reality that I, I really encourage a lot of people for. Like you're so anxious, you're so excited, you want that launch date so bad, but you have to take your time and you have to do things right because um, I, I did that myself. I was bound and determined to launch in October of 2013, and I ended up launching without any of my intimate apparel. It uh, launched me, I launched with some T-shirts and some hats because at first my concept was to like be an all-encompassing shop. And um, I had all of those things, but I didn't have my intimate. And I started reading a lot of books about entrepreneurship, and they kept saying over and over, the number one mistake that every entrepreneur makes is that they try to do too much too soon too fast. (laughs) And I checked off all of those boxes. So I kind of pumped the brakes a little bit. I pulled myself together. I got everything. I took my time. I stayed focused. And I ended up launching in May of 2014. Just to put that all in perspective, I yeah. came up with the idea in, like, May of 2011. So
1: wow.
2: really from concept to true launch, it took me three years. And, wow. and, again, that's coming from somebody who knew what they were doing.
1: Yeah, yep. Uh,
2: you know, a lot of that was, you know, making sure I I'd identified the right factories, making sure my product fit, making sure my product was going to be what my audience needed, making sure that there is, you know, um, the requirements that, you know, I needed to have for a medical garment. Did I need it? Did I not need it? You know, there were so many questions. And I only had so many hours in the day because I was also working my full time job because that's what afforded me to start my business. So, you know, there was it's kind of like set a course, know that you're going to probably zigzag your way through that course. But when you give yourself milestones and dates and objectives i feel like you can be a little bit more accountable to what can actually happen and you know you're a bit more in control of your destiny
1: i think that's it's eye opening for most people cuz when they think about that whole concept of oh i'm starting a business or you know even when we see entrepreneurs who have you know hit that successful you know monumental moment in their in their career it almost feels like this whole idea of an overnight overnight success And the reality is that we often put so many years of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears and efforts into building out these concepts that when we finally get to that point, we're like, yes, we're there. But everyone's like, oh, that's so awesome. You know, it happened so fast. So it's three years. Like, that tells you, like, there's a lot of time that goes into this. There's a lot of patience that's necessary to be able to pursue it um so thank you for that it's, i think it's, it can be very eye-opening for most people who don't know the in, you know the in the ins and the outs of the industry i i commend you working full time and you know going through your your battle of cancer and then on top of it you're like we're going to do this we're launching this product line <laughs> like you're a superhero can i can't i give you
2: top <laughs> superhero slash crazy you know either one works Yes,
1: and I find that's really common, though, with with women, but women are true hustlers. Like, we are here to, especially if you have a dream and a goal, and I think that's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. A woman said to me yesterday
2: that you might not get there the way that you planned, but if you don't give up, you'll get there. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I thought it was so great. Of course she was a mother. You know, of course she had <laughs> daughters that had their kids. You know what I'm saying? Like it yes. was it was so wise. And her two daughters are incredibly successful. They run their own business. And I wow. just when she said that I was like, you know what? You're right, because I tell people there is no weight or gauge for passion. If you believe that you can do it and you believe it needs to be done, you will find a way. You know, it might not be the initial way that you thought you were going to get there, but you'll find, you know, you'll find a way. And I think that that is just such a cool, cool insight from a wise woman.
1: That's awesome. Can you touch a bit on your creative inspiration? Like what goes into your thought process when it comes to designing um, the garments that you're you're showcasing in each of your collection. Is there anything specific? Are there trends you look at? Or is it all based on, you know, your imagination? Well, m- my initial collection
2: was launched because I was addressing my pain points. And and since I live with the body, I lived with all of the problems that I was trying to solve. I really sat down and I said, okay, what am I missing in my life? As a woman with a bilateral mastectomy with reconstructive surgery, I was missing everything. I was missing a post-op bra that didn't look like a grandma bra that wasn't horribly hideous and horribly uncomfortable. I was missing, you know, a bra I would wear to the boardroom and I would wear to work. I was missing a bra that I would wear on Friday night date night. I was missing my bra that I would wear to yoga or Pilates or out for a walk for the day. And so I knew I had to kind of like fill in these holes and fill in these gaps. And that's what I always kind of think about when I, when I open up the design door to say, okay, what gap am I filling today? And what's inspiring to me is that the community of the Anna Ono ambassadors and the community of women that belong in Anna Ono are so incredibly encouraging and they give me so much feedback, so much insight into their lives, and that inspires me to design and create new things. And one of um this might be like my premiere to my surprise launch, but one of the needs that I didn't necessarily know or knew needed to be addressed was that women with no breast still wanted bras. And um and I had a really inspiring story from a woman who sent me an email that said to me The only thing I dream of is the day that my husband can unhook my black bra again. I was really taken back with that comment because she had explained to me that she had a double mastectomy. She didn't undergo reconstructive surgery. But this was a hot and steamy process to their intimacy. And she has inspired me to do something about it. And soon we'll be launching that. So stay tuned. But... Like that being said, you know, I mean, I feel like so many people give me their opinions. I mean, we're launching a swimwear line because nobody has swimwear. If you can't wear a bra, it makes sense. There's not a lot of swimwear out there for you either. And, um, you know, women that need plus size because treatments can do a lot of things to your body. They oftentimes increase your weight. Very few lose weight. So, you know, you might have been a size 8 or 10 when you were diagnosed with breast cancer, but now you're 14, 16, 18, 20. So we want to make sure that we're, again, offering as, as many of these individuals that have been affected by breast cancer an option for them. And as I continue to hear these stories and get this feedback, it really inspires me to keep going and to create new things.
1: What are your goals for you owner in the next two to five years? What are you, you know, how do you hope to be making it an impact or what kind of growth are you looking work to?
2: I mean, I hope that there is not a woman diagnosed with breast cancer that doesn't have us by her side and knows that we are there not only to help her feel beautiful, but to also support her and get her through her journey. I think that, um, unfortunately, it's been a very forgotten about demographic for a really long time. Uh, You know, I mean, a cancer diagnosis 10 years ago, 15 years ago, meant that you were probably dead within five. And that's not a solid statistic to really pay attention to. You know, our doctors would hush us out of their door and close the door behind us, and we would all just wait and go and gather our things and wait for the end of our life. And I am grateful that medicine has continued to progress, and that's no longer the case. Now, women and men with breast cancer are living very full lives, Um even if they are metastatic, which is the terminal version of the disease. You know, we're, we're fighting to increase treatments. We're fighting to get better, better medicine to hopefully eventually lead us to a cure. But just because you have cancer doesn't mean you shouldn't live your life. And that's what we really encourage. And, you know, I hope in two years or five years that we get noticed for that because competitors that are in the marketplace right now see us as cash cows. They see us as revenue. They see us as dollar signs. They don't care about how we feel about ourselves or our bodies. They don't support the community. So I feel like they've been making money off of us for a very long time, and I feel it's due for change for that. So I hope that we can, you know, start encouraging, you know, stores and hospital boutiques and doctors to really help us help their patients feel better as they go through the most traumatic time of their life.
1: Wow, yes, absolutely. And I think that 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 creates again that whole inspiring aspect of, you know, the mission and vision driving your company and what you're doing. You're looking beyond yourself now. Are there any people, mentors, figures that have made an impact on your life and career and if so, how? So many. Wow. Um, so
2: many. I think that really at the end of the day, my current customers and community that I get to meet on a daily basis have made a huge impact on me. And that, because of cancer, I've met some really, really special and incredible people. And it's unfortunate to say that a lot of them are no longer with us. Um, I've met them through don't know, my, my best friend, Jill, who started a foundation called Jill's Wish. Uh, We provide funding and financial aid to families that can't pay their bills when they're going through treatment because that is a very real need. Um, Was my total muse, my total muse, I would close my eyes and I would think of her and I would think of her life and how beautiful she was. And she died, you know, in her early 30s of terminal breast cancer. And my partner, Champagne Joy, that started uh, Project Cancerland, is a nonprofit that we are using to provoke accountable actions to finding a cure. And we did the New York fashion week together. Uh, Just not even a month after the fashion week, uh, she passed away from terminal breast cancer. And I feel like each of these individuals we lose here on earth, I get a little bit louder and I get a little bit stronger because I've been able to learn from them, to grow with them, to mature with them, And I'm fortunate that my cancer has not come back. And as long as I have a voice, I'm going to make sure I use it. And um, that continues to be an inspiration to me every day of my life.
1: Wow. Can you touch a bit on that, the whole idea of um, organizations that deal with fundraising and things like that for illnesses like cancer um, and accountability and transparency Actually, I was on Facebook the other day, and I saw a post from this amazingly raw and like heart wrenching post from this woman, but she was looking at it from the perspective of there's all this you know save the Tatas pink for breast cancer, and the reality that she's sharing about these organizations is that a large proportion of the actual funds that are raised, that are supposed to go towards actually finding a cure are not doing that. Um, And it sounds like these organizations that you're working with, you're pushing for more accountability and transparency. Can you touch on that, um, if you don't mind?
2: Absolutely, I mean, I'm glad that you saw that and I'm glad you came across that post because at the end of the day, we are up against marketing giants and pink, should not be a holiday. And pink should not be sat on the counters of our supermarkets and our craft stores and our liquor stores everywhere else just to then be marked off 75% on November 1st. And that's the reality of how much this disease has been commercialized and how the awareness is actually now working against us. And the fact of the matter is is that When we're up against marketing giants and we support marketing giants, if somebody thinks that they're going on a walk for a cure or they're going to a party for a cure or whatever this, anybody that wants to use a cure in their marketing needs to make sure that every single penny that is raised at that event goes to a researcher or goes to a scientist that is actually creating treatments and therapies and eventually will lead us to a cure. Because at the end of the day, less than two or three percent go to treating metastatic breast cancer, and that wow. is disgusting. There's out of our top-rated, largest nonprofits in the United States, they collectively raise almost a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Two to percent of that actually go to research and science for metastatic breast cancer.
1: That's
2: mind blowing. So we can keep sending our money to these nonprofits. We can keep putting money in their bank accounts. All of that is fine, but they have to be accountable. They have to readjust their books. They have to readjust their missions. Awareness worked. The 20-year, 25-year propaganda of raising awareness to the pink ribbon worked. Now we need a cure. Now we actually need a cure because we are burying men and women at the same rate that we have for the last 20 years so nothing has changed you know if if we crashed a plane every day of the year don't you think we would change our flight standards yeah but instead we crash a plane of all women and men with metastatic breast cancer every single day and we do not make change it doesn't make any sense so we as a community are really trying hard to bring the awareness of the complete monstrosity of the commercialization of this disease because we're dying because of it. We're not benefiting from this. Um, The, you know, corporations and high-end nonprofits are benefiting from it.
1: Can you share a bit about the organization that you are working with and what you guys are doing?
2: So um, I work with quite a few, but um, in regards to metastatic disease and metastatic research, I work with an organization called MetaViber. M-E-T-A-V-I-V-O-R. And it's like being a survivor but being a metaviver because the disease is metastasized is where the, the name comes from. And we donate 100% of our funds raised to research and grants to scientists and doctors to um, improve our, our therapies and treatments. And um, I'm also very active in Project Cancer Land, and this is us with a voice trying to provoke these accountable actions to help people be aware of where their money is going and how their money is being spent so they can make an educated decision on how they want to spend their money. And um, last but not least, I, I am a very huge advocate for living beyond breast cancer. And I love living beyond breast cancer because uh, we don't raise money for research. We don't raise money for our cure. But what we do is we provide education and trusted information to those that are diagnosed. And that's really, really important because you have to know how to navigate this new world. And it is so confusing and it's so cumbersome that what we do at Living Beyond Breast Cancer is we give information to those that need it, the caregivers, the patients, Um, stage one, stage four, you know, double mastectomy, lumpectomy. You know, we really are just like the encyclopedia of breast cancer. (laughs) So it's it's really important, and they are always who I turn to when there's a new medicine available or a new study available or even to find a community of women that, you know, I need to meet with and speak with. So they're a really amazing support foundation that helps us deal with our daily lives, and that's what's important too. Wow. Wow.
1: That's amazing. Um, okay, so heading back to our, our, our questions about you and entrepreneurship and what it's like running – own business can you share some insight to the realities of that of running your own business are you now full-time i know you mentioned you're working a full-time job on top of you know building this on the site are you now full-time are you still juggling both um can you kind of give us insight to the the good bad and the ugly like the realities of what it really is like because people hear designer and they automatically go to like this very glamorous perception and And I know better, and I love to, like, hear other people's experiences. (laughs) So that's great because,
2: yes, um, it is not glamorous. But, uh, you know, I I asked myself, it was very funny. Right when I started my business, I always had to ask myself, I did a check-in, is it time or is it money? Because it didn't matter how much time I had. If I didn't have any money, the time didn't matter. And then... I was asking myself that for about a year and a half, and then it came to me: is it time or is it money? And it came: it doesn't matter how much money I put into this, if I don't give it the time, it's not going to go anywhere. And when I ended up flipping myself to time to money was when I left my full time job and really focused. You found a way to get through, found a way to budget, found a way to, you know, really strap on those boots and go for it because. I could just keep pushing and pushing and pushing money in it, but if, you know, it took me 2 or 3 weeks to get things done because I had other, you know, accountable action plan actions from my business, that would be a problem. And that really really led me down the right course, but I have to say that the reality now of running my own business full-time, I have several employees, we're taking on our first seed round is all the things I thought I started my business for all the things I love to do, like design and make patterns. And so I almost don't do any of those things anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm balancing the checkbook. I'm budgeting. I am talking to employees. <laughs> I am, you know, doing, um, you know, talking to the factory, trying to build a payment plan with stores, you know, it's, it is kind of funny that everything I love to do is, is now somebody else's job, but, um, you know, it, it really is fulfilling. It's an amazing challenge. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about the business and the cause and, and everything that surrounds it. So I work really, really hard. Um, I work, you know, 27 hours a day, probably. Um, I'm like working in my dreams. Yes. But yes. Um, at the end of the day, like it's not work when you love what you do. So, um, you know, it might be stressful at times and, and you might get down and you might get overloaded and overbear like overbearing with all of the work on your to-do list. And sometimes when I do that, I just say, okay, I need a day off. I need to freshen up. I need to go for a walk in the park. I need to go get a facial or a massage or whatever that might be. Just turn off my brain for a minute. Because you have to give your body and your mind that respect or you just get too bogged down. You know, it's like it's like hitting the restart button to your computer when nothing starts working. And um, and that's been a really hard thing for me to learn because I'm like, oh, my God, i would be doing 18 million other things. But I come back. I'm more energized. I'm more focused and I'm more productive
1: absolutely that's awesome i love it 27 hours today
2: Uh (laughs) 27 Um, hours eight days a week
1: (laughs) it sounds like you know you went through your seed funding and all that good stuff what was that process like was it difficult i mean i feel like when you hear startup it feels like the startup industry is very very male dominated there's a you know there's a for every like Ten men, there's like one women woman that that has an opportunity to find financing. What was that process like? How did you go about it? You know, was it difficult, Um, or perhaps you had a really positive, you know, experience? What What has your experience overall been like when it came to you know finding financing and investors and funding and things like that?
2: I will tell you right now that finding fundraising has been the toughest thing I've ever encountered in my entire career. And, um, you know, it's not just like you're not an overnight success, just like those people that make a product and post it all over Instagram and have all of a sudden a hundred thousand followers. And you're like, wow, they did that so quick. That was all planned out. That was all completely planned out. None of that happened overnight. And same thing for fundraising. I have literally been fundraising for about the last, almost a year and a half, and you don't just go to your first pitch and walk out and get a check. Um, It's a real serious common misconception, and um, it's about relationship building. It's about networking. It's about getting yourself out there. It's about learning more and more about your business. I mean, what I learned about my business in the last year, I feel like I got like a pseudo master's in business, you know just in real life experiences and and it you have to it, you're learning a whole nother language and really, as a woman run business, making products for women by women to sit in a room full of you know for the lack of better terms, old white dudes um is really challenging because women face a lot of issues um in our health in our mind in our bodies that Men just have no idea that we face um, I really it my business has not changed since i 've been pitching in a year and a half. The way I pitch my business has been changed, and it was really interesting because I started understanding you know to to men for the most part if their if their wives or their loved ones or their sisters or their mother mothers hadn 't been affected by breast cancer, they really had no clue. they had zero clue um even if their loved ones have been affected by breast cancer, they had zero clue. And, you know, it's really difficult to have a conversation how a woman with two natural breasts that can walk into Victoria's Secret and walk out with a bra is not the same as a woman that has two breasts that have been rebuilt and reconstructed by a surgeon to mimic, mock, and replace the breasts that used to be, be there. <laughs> So it's not the easiest conversation to talk to a lot of deer and headlights in the room. Yeah. And I had to learn how to say it without being too racy, not racy enough, so on and so forth. But, you know, I think that the the common takeaway that I had is that your business doesn't matter. Um, I hate to be so blunt and frank about it, but what matters is, are you going to make money? Is your revenue going to grow? And when the investors get their money back, all it is. And if you can't show them that they have a way to make their money back in the terms that they want to make their money back, you won't get funding. And it doesn't matter how amazing your idea is, but if you don't have a buyer or you don't have an exit plan on the other side of that strategy, nobody wants you because they need their money back. (laughs) And it's that simple. So it really took a long time, not a long time, but, you know, at least six months. I'm like, Oh my God, like everybody's telling me how awesome my business is and how much they love me. And then they're like, but we're not going to invest. And, and that was really hard to hear because I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And it's hard to not take things personally as well, because you're building what you believe is an amazing, beautiful company and nobody wants to support you. And, and it's really a challenge, but you know, after hard work and determination and, and not giving up, you know, I'm I'm closing my first round and now we're going to have the funds to actually scale. And that was the challenge. You know, I, I say my bra drawer was like the least expected challenge that I had when I had breast cancer. Well, scaling was the least worry I had when I started my business. I didn't think growing my business was going to be the challenge. I thought, million other things are going to be my challenge. Not actually being successful is <laughs> going to be one of them. So
1: so I've learned a lot. I feel like, you know, we're talking about obstacles. Obviously, this sounded like one of the biggest ones. Are there any obstacles, um, any other obstacles that you, you faced on this whole journey? And if so, what and how did you, you overcome them? I mean, sc- scaling and growing comes with a
2: lot of challenges. I mean, the first two years, I really had an okay time managing my business by myself and with a few freelancers. Um, and I've been more than doubling my revenue year over year. So that comes with challenges because you're not quite making enough money to hire anybody, but the job is too big for just you anymore. <laughs> so you've got to find a way to get people involved or you know, get some of the workload off your plate in some way, shape, or form so you can continue propelling the business forward. And when you don't have money or you don't have investment or funds to do so, you have to get really, really creative and, um, you know, take that grassroots approach. I mean, there were at times where I was running about five interns a semester just to get the work done. And, you know, five interns to manage is a lot of interns to manage, but That was the way, you know, they got the skills and and the credits that they needed, and and I got the help that I needed. And so, you know, you've got to find creative ways to address the needs that you have, because you might not
1: have the money in the bank to be able to afford them. Wow. Yep, yep. And if people think interns are, oh, it's so easy, you you know, they're doing, no, typically they have to (laughs) get something out of it. So it's like it's not as easy as everyone makes it out. <laughs> wow. Exactly. What do you think has been your your greatest success so far um as you as you've been on this journey?
2: My greatest success honestly was my launch. Um I was really really proud of the turnout and how we were able to um get a little bit of media attention and how I was just able to launch it, right? That was a super super proud moment. But Yeah. What has now overshadowed that <laughs> was um, our our moment at New York Fashion Week in February where we put 16 brave, courageous individuals on the runway and showed New York Fashion Week oh, a runway that has never been seen around the world. And that was incredibly cool. I think that the 16 individuals that walked and showed the world what breast cancer really looked like was just, I was so proud of each and every one of them. And I was so proud to call them my friends and, and so proud that they trusted me to believe in me that what I was going to present and show was going to move our cause forward and that they trusted me to do so. And I'll never forget the, the night of the show, when Champagne Joy, my partner of, of Cancer Land, calls me and she says, Dana, we just went viral. And I go, That's awesome, Champagne. What does that mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what does that mean? And she's like, We hit over a million views on New York Times. Yeah. And I'm like, That's incredible, and I'm like, does that make us viral? (laughs) She's like, yes. Yes. And 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 now to date, we have over three million views, um, and those all came within like the next two or three days after the show, and and it was it was so funny because I just I'm not into that sort. I mean, publicity is great; it's really helped me propel the brand, but like, I I just work, I just work all the time, so sometimes you don't get to celebrate those little wins because you like, yay, yay, let's go. And then you're all of a sudden you're off to the next thing because the next thing was, oh my gosh, I have to start shipping all these orders. <laughs> so yes. It was uh, yes. it was a very small, small celebration, but I was super proud of us. Um, we really had a lot of messages that we put out there. And, and one was, almost half of the individuals have metastatic breast cancer and we've already lost two out of 16 in the last six months. And you can look beautiful, you can look strong, but you can be dying of an illness. And that's what we really needed to show to the world that, you know, breast cancer does kill. And, um, and it's unfortunate that it does, but uh, you know, that was, that message did get brought out in, in several of the press and media that we got from that as well. So So I'm really proud of not just myself, but the entire team that I had with me um, of Champagne Joy, of Cancerland, and, of course, the 16 individuals
1: that just took it and rocked it. And I, I think it's really important, too, that you showcase real women, you know, in these shows, on your website, with the product shots and the collections that you're showcasing. It's actual women, not just models wearing and showcasing your garments, but real people who have real stories and I think that just it connects so much more than than a very like you know basic like let's put a model in this set of underwear and or in this bra that's meant to do this or meant to support this type of person but instead you're you're going even deeper and you're showcasing this is a real person with a real story and this is how my product is supporting her
2: yeah yeah and that was always important to me because I don't know how our competition can model a mastectomy bra on a woman that has breasts when you're trying Mm -hmm. to sell a product to a woman that has no breasts. Yep. And, you know, I, I knew immediately that none of those brands were talking to me and none of those products were talking to me. And I wanted to make sure that whoever was sitting on the other side of that screen saw somebody that they could identify with. And um, it was, and, and, you know, when I launched in 2013, that was like, unheard of nobody was doing it and i and i thought maybe i was crazy but i'm I'm happy to really see more brands you know taking that sort of approach to power and encourage you know others especially if they're you know working within a niche demographic
1: yep yep um what kind of advice would you give someone looking to launch a clothing line or even just start a business any you know wise words that you could share do your research
2: Especially in the fashion industry, um, if you don't have experience, uh, you can make a lot of very costly mistakes. So just be careful. Get a mentor, get an advisor that knows how to navigate the waters and can really help lead you. Um, And, you know, I jumped off the cliff and into my business. I didn't make a business plan, and I didn't make my business plan until I auditioned for Shark Tank. And I really encourage people to look at a business plan before they start anything because I would have done my business either way. If I had to sit at a sewing machine and make bras on my Etsy shop, I would have done it, right? So it didn't matter to me. But if you want to go into a business because you need the revenue and you need to make money and you eventually want to sell it, you need that business plan because that's going to prove to you how much work you have ahead of you to actually make money. And when I made my business plan before my audition at Shark Tank, I realized, wow, I have a business here. And I wasn't sure that I did. I was doing it anyway. So when I actually rolled up the numbers and I rolled up, you know, how I could sell to women and and help women and, you know, get them through their journeys, I was like, wow, this is a business. I could hire people. Like, I could employ people. Like, we can make a difference here. And I found that out about a year later after I after I launched my business. So I just encourage people to do their homework. And even though some of those things are mundane, it really does set your roadmap for you moving forward.
1: Where can we learn more about a on online? Are there you know is there a specific website you want our listeners and readers to follow, visit? Um, any social media handles as well that you could share? Absolutely. So we are
2: online at anaono.com, and that is a n a o n o dot com. And know that we talked a lot about breast cancer today, and the reason why I launched the line. But I do want to point out that if you're comfortable without an underwire, you're comfortable in Ana Ono. So even though I needed an untraditional bra, the bras that I have designed really work for women with natural breasts as well as reconstructed breasts or modified breasts. So um, take a look. Uh, We always, you know, have some great discount codes for email signups and whatnot and tell your mothers and your sisters and your friends. And um, all of our social media handles are at Anna Ono Intimate. Uh, So we're on all of them. And if you want to follow me and my personal Uh, startup life journey. Um, I'm on Instagram at Dana spelled D-A-Y-N-A underscore Donna, D-O-N-O.
0: I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I want to send a huge shout out to Dana for taking the time to share her journey and her experiences with us. Her story is an inspiration and she's a true testament to the inner strength all women have. If you want to learn more about Dana's shopper collection, please visit www.annaono.com. That's ww.anao-n-o.com. You can also keep up with the brand on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at the handle at Anna That's A-N-A-O-N-O Intimates. While you're online, make sure you stop by halfstackmag.com, and you can always keep up with us on all social media channels with the handle at if you like what we're doing with the show, please take a moment and leave us an honest review on iTunes. It'll help us reach new listeners, grow the show, and enable the Half stack team to keep putting out the content that we get to share with all of you. Thanks for your support.